Tricking it up on you today, aren't we? Change is good. Good change is good. All right. Going to kind of preach in segments to you today. And in this one, I want to talk to you about the, the things that this Go Forward uh, series are pointing us towards. How many people have heard about the Go Forward campaign that we're heading into? I know many of you have. I want to recap it for those of us who haven't had a chance to connect with what's coming up for our church. And essentially what's happening is we're going to try to raise over the next three years about $2 million additional to what we uh, fund our church with uh, to be able to do some things that we think are going to make a difference in the kingdom of God in our community and around the world. The first thing that we want to do is that we want to partner with the Women's Resource Center. Who's heard of that ministry? They're housed here on our campus and have been for years. And uh, they've been blessed with uh, the beginnings of a building, a 10,000 square foot uh, uh, you know, uh, building that's up on our property up there in the, in the corner of our land. We're going to partner with them and, and plan our counseling ministry in that building with them uh, in hopes that hundreds more who are a part of our community will get their needs met uh, through that facility and those ministries. We also want to see a 15,000 square foot building, uh, additional space to disciple people here at our church, uh, right out here where our basketball courts are and stuff like that. We're going to plant that sucker over there. It's going to be primarily used for our student ministries and children ministries to be able to expand, uh, but it's a long overdue space. Uh, we've been compensating without it for years, and we're excited for that to be a part of Go Forward as well. Uh, the third thing that we uh, want to be able to accomplish is some refurbishing and repurposing of the spaces that are empty because we add additional space. And these are kind of going in the order that we see them going uh, so that we can uh, better facilitate ministry in all of our facilities. The fourth thing that we want to do is we want to plant additional chapels. There's a, a church that we've partnered with in Mango called, well, it used to be called First Baptist Church of Mango, but now it is the chapel, a ministry of Bay Life Church. And uh, we are excited for all the great things that are going on with it. And uh, as part of our vision for reaching our, our region with the gospel of Jesus Christ, we want to go uh, to other churches that need right, revitalizing and partner with them so that they can continue to meet the needs, spiritual needs of the communities they find themselves in. And uh, we've already had lots of opportunities, at least two, since uh, we started the chapel to actually go and do that. We're praying about all those. And uh, Go Forward will help us in sourcing and, and funding those additional chapels. Uh, the fourth thing is this, is we want to invest in additional uh, opportunities locally and globally. We want to be available, ready, for what God might have for us next in making a difference here in our community and in making a difference with our global partners. Um, th that's our heart behind uh, what we're doing. That's, that's our hope in what we're uh, approaching here with uh, Go Forward. Now, <laughs> I think it's always important, though, that we know why we're doing stuff. Has anybody ever been at, like, a party and you ask yourselves, like, halfway through, why did I come? Has anybody been to that party? Yeah, it happens more often than I'd like to admit, but uh, a lot of times we end up doing stuff because it's the next thing on our list, but we don't really connect with the why, and sometimes that can be demotivating and, and discouraging and, and, and mystifying, and so I want to make sure that we're clear on why we're doing the things that we're doing. Here's the reasons. First thing is that as your leadership, your pastors and your elders prayed, this is what we sense God telling us to do. That is a pretty much in a church a mic drop moment. As we're going to see today as we go through the uh, the, the word that we're going to preach uh, here in, uh, in just a second. Um, when God says move, you move. When God says do, you do. Now, we want to run through all the checks and balances that we can, but, but we sense as we've kind of gotten to this point in our history, this is what's next. And God's told us to do it. We want to follow him in it. It's going to help us accomplish our mission to surrender to God as he makes disciples through us here and around the world. It's going to uh, help us live out our values through these initiatives. We're going to be able to love God better and teach people to love God better, better and we're going to be able to love people, more people, 
as a result of doing them. Uh, another reason we're doing this is because, uh, you know, some five, five years ago, we rose up and we got rid of our debt. Who was here for that? Anybody here for that? Yeah, the whole reason we got rid yeah, wasn't that great? It was awesome. And the whole reason we did that was for the time such as this, that we could go forward in the things that God is leading us to do next. We wanted to be debt-free so that we could stay debt-free and be able to raise the resources that we need to do whatever God calls us to do next. But then if we go to the specific pieces of this, like the Women's Resource Center, why are we partnering with them and potentially with other community uh, ministries? Well, it's because there's way too many broken people in our world. Has anybody noticed this? There's just way too many people who either don't have enough uh, to meet their material needs or their physical needs, and they certainly don't have enough to, uh, you know, make God honored or to honor God in their relationships and in their own personal lives. There is just incredible need out there. And if we put this building up there and Women's Resource is able to do, Women's Resource Center is able to do what it thinks it can do, we're going to be able to help uh, hundreds if not thousands more uh, in, in, in doing the things that God needs us to do to, to bring wholeness and health to our community. Uh, we're building this extra building because the future of our church matters. Those students and children that we're training, they are what will carry the gospel beyond us. And I'm going to step away from my notes because this is the heart of your pastor. Listen, um, it's really easy to come to a church, be a part of a church, and to have um, your main focus be yourself, myself. What do I like? What's here for me? Now, can I, has anybody driven past small churches that are, you know, in danger of closing their doors? Does anybody know someone who's a part of one of those things? I'm not judging them. I'm not saying that this is exactly what's happening in those things. But typically what happens in churches that they begin to decline is that the me factor becomes greater than the he factor. The me part of, of the church is, is the focus rather than what does God want? And certainly, what does the future require? Here's the deal. I want Bay Life Church to be a vibrant and vital ministry in this community long after I'm pushing up daisies. I am not committed to us just having the church that we want now. I am committed to us being the church that God wants always. And for us to be that church, we have to focus on those who are coming after. I think we should be making disciples of all people. Don't get me wrong, I love all people of all ages, but if you give me the ones that I think we should focus on most, It'd be the next ones, the next generation, because they're going to be carrying this work on after us. And so we're going to build this building in hopes that we'll see more students come to Christ, follow Christ, be trained up to serve Christ, and go on and do that in this church and in others. We asked some of the leaders of our student ministries to talk about their heartbeat, their passion for student ministry, and this is what they told us. like playing dodgeball you know, in middle school with the kids. And oh, yeah. sure, you know, you like to knock them down, that's fun and everything, right? <laughs> but what I really enjoyed was the sheer joy that they seemed to have when they were able to hit me, you know, or knock my glasses off or something. They <laughs> just felt like they had accomplished something, so, right? My fondest moment was at a Revolve weekend and we had ketchup bottles and we were trying to like blast other people who were carrying and I got ketchup in the mouth, which is gross, but they also told me I was savage, which was one of my greatest accomplishments in life. Kidapalooza, and that was about, I want to say, eight or nine years ago. I think it was like one of the first ones, and it was crazy. 
watching those kids go into intentional praise during that time and just the interaction they have with everybody um, was amazing. Back in 2005, when I first started working with the elementary school kids, first and second grade, just instilling uh, God's love into them and then seeing them grow up. And then some of them have graduated. So I've, I've had a chance to see them be takers, watch them go through the middle school and high school ministries, and then they become uh, givers, giving back to the ministry. And now they're continuing inside of the big church, Big Bay Life, also still giving back in the ministry into the ministry, you know, and that's pretty neat. It's funny, there's somebody right now who's teaching my daughter in fifth grade, and she taught me when I was in middle school. And so, to me, that's a really cool, you know, kind of, you know, all around circle that's, you know, that's what got me through some really tough, insecure middle school years was <clears throat> my church family and the leaders who just love me. <laughs> well, they say it takes a village, you know, to raise your own child. And I kind of feel like it, it takes the whole body church. You know, we all have the same same vision and the same goal is to love these kids as they grow and mature through Christ and just um, to see them grounded and rooted. This one kid was, uh, he was wanting to know what it meant to be a Christian. Uh, Pastor Brian was, he gave me a bunch of questions asked and he was like really walking me through the process. I, uh, I had my phone on, I was reading from this, you know, the questions that Brian had gave mm -hmm. me and he was like, I never thought you cared this much. I'm like, yeah, I care, I, you know, I care about you. I care about um, your, you know, eternal future and, you know, your relationship with Jesus. So I feel like I have like, a special bond with the kids that are there, but they're like my, my tiny little homies, so I want to hang out with them. I love seeing a new student who does not know anybody else connect with somebody. They get the word, they get to know their leaders. And to me, that's exciting. I love seeing those kind of kids come into our services, but they get to make friends, they get to hear about Jesus and ultimately getting them to see and accept Christ as their Lord and Savior, that's, that's the goal. Baylife is a family and um, I feel like with all the broken families that, you know, mm -hmm. those kind of things, um, school relationships and the gossip that goes on and all that kind of stuff just can lead to heartbreak that they would turn around and remember the hope that um, is found in Christ. My hope for the kids at Baylife um, just to see them sold out for Jesus, mm -hmm. to build that relationship with Jesus to where they don't care about what anybody else says about them. They're going down the right path and what they're doing is not temporal, but eternal. That's my hope for our church is that we would be willing to channel kids towards the eternal, not the temporal, that they would live their lives for Jesus, that they would become the leaders of tomorrow in this place and in other places as God leads them. So that, that's why we're hoping to build that building, because we want to make a difference in the future for the kingdom of God. And then why would we revitalize other churches? Why would we partner with local global initiatives? That one's simple. There's just not enough people going to heaven. I mean, I don't mean to just break this down to its very base roots, but that's the bottom line of the church. The church exists to glorify God, certainly. You and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, if that's who you are this morning, we are here to honor him, sing his songs, listen to his word preached, go live a life that honors him and that lives the Christ out in us. But, but, but here's the deal. 
beyond us being more like Jesus, there's a greater impact that God is hoping for the church to make. And that's on the world that doesn't know him yet. And we just have to be always ready to make much of our Savior, to share the gospel with those who, who need him. To, and that's why we're going to override up revitalized churches and do more with missions initiatives and do more hopefully locally so that people can hear the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ and be secured for, heaven, for eternity with him in heaven. Uh, I, I get asked all the time as a pastor, how many people go to your church? It's kind of like, you know, pastors get around each other and it's like dogs sniffing each other. They want to know where they rank in the pack. And so uh, I, I used to, you know, uh, you know, pay attention to our, our numbers so that I could be able to report that accurately. And I, I would, uh, I think early on in, in my time here, sheepishly but almost pridefully underneath say and what our number was, right? You know what I say now after being in the game for like 13 years? You know what I say to people about how, how big our church is? How many people go to your church? Not enough. Not enough. There are not enough people in this church. There are not enough people in the other churches. In the biggest church in Tampa, there are not enough people because more people need to know the life-saving message of Jesus Christ. And so we're never gonna get tired of doing more for our Savior because until everybody trusts Jesus, we're not done. So may you and I be ready to go forward. May you and I... Be ready to do all that God's called us to in this season as we do go forward. I just want to let you know, you can get more information on this uh, in some of the paper that we've produced. There's a Go Forward brochure that explains all this stuff in much greater detail. There's also some great spiritual opportunities over the next month for you to get involved with. One is a prayer walk. There's a prayer walk guide available at our prayer room, which is right here in this back. It's got a big lit sign by it. And you can actually grab this room, and, and this prayer guide is going to take you uh, through a walk around our campus, and you can pray different prayers with your kids or with your husband or wife or whoever you want to do this with, with a group of you, small group, life group, whatever. And you can just pray these different prayers. I would encourage everybody at least once during the next uh, three to four weeks of this series uh, to just take this prayer walk and ask God to be with us as we go forward with him. The final thing is that uh, spiritual journey guide that we've produced, it's a it's a daily quiet time, 27 of them, as we lead up to the uh, 29th service, April 29th service, where we're going to be making commitments to God as we go forward. But there's also in it some great information. There's uh, uh, right in the front, you could hear about or read about the prayer walks. There's a daily prayer feed you could sign up for so that God can, uh, you know, prompt, or we can prompt you with the things that we sense God wants us to pray for uh, on, on your uh, little phones. That's what they're called, phones. Uh, there's also a prayer vigil. There's going to be a couple of those. There's going to be opportunities for you to exercise uh, the spiritual discipline of fasting, and it talks more about those. So if you grab one of these, uh, all those things will be uh, clearly, hopefully clearly explained to you. If you have any questions, you can ask me or any of our other staff. It's going to be a great season. I'm excited for what God's going to do through us. And this next song that we're going to sing kind of helps us understand uh, how this is going to be accomplished. We've, we've heard what we want to do. We've heard why we want to do it. Uh, now we're on to the how. How are we going to accomplish this? God's going to do it through us. And like anything that we do in his name, uh, he should be the force behind our actions, our choices. And so we're going to sing a familiar song. Who's sung the song, Lord, I Need You? Oh, I Need You. Anybody sung that? It's a great song. It's a song of personal commitment, but we're going to sing it corporately. And we're going to sing it as a church together. Lord, we need you. Oh, we need you every hour. Not just every hour, every minute, every second. We need you. Lead us to the things, God, that you'd have us do to glorify your name. Stand with us this morning as we sing.
without you we fall apart you're the one that guides our hearts Lord we take our morning tithes and offerings as our ushers come forward. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the blessing it is to be able to sing and to glorify your name, Lord, as we uh, recite these words together and that as we include each and every one of us around this room this morning, Lord, we need you. We stand here needing you to be in our lives and for you to be the Lord of our hearts. And so today now we take our morning tithes and offerings, Lord, we, we pray that you receive it from joyful hearts that as we give, Lord, it would be received as our worship offering to you. May you be glorified in it, we pray. I pray a blessing on my brothers and sisters, Lord, prepare us for your word, we pray, and we ask it in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. You may be seated.
you have your Bibles, why don't you open them with me to the book of John, chapter 12. We're also going to be in Mark chapter 14 because the story I'm telling you from the scriptures today is found in both those spots. We're going to kind of ping pong back and forth. I want to thank everybody for a great weekend last weekend. We had almost 4,000 people join us for Easter, and they heard about the glory of our Savior Jesus Christ and his resurrection. I pray that uh, those seeds that were planted would come to fruition in their hearts. If they don't know Jesus, they'd find him. If they do know Jesus and they kind of been holding him at arm's length, I pray that they would um, you know, bring him in close. Uh, if you're here after joining us for the first time last week, hi. Great to have you back. Uh, glad you could be with us. I'm going to pray briefly for this uh, sermon. Ask God just to uh, speak it through me. So let me pray real quick. God, thanks so much for this chance to honor you with these words. And I pray as we continue to focus in on the idea of sacrifice and what you require uh, from us in this, uh, that you would, you would lead us to that truth and help us live it. Uh, get me out of the way. Speak in my place. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So which are you? Are you a pig Christian or a chicken Christian? I'll explain. One of the first sermons I remember hearing, I grew up in church, but I didn't pay attention. I hope that's not happening right now. But uh, uh, I didn't pay a lot of attention when I was a kid. I was just kind of conditioned to kind of zone out, you know, count the knots in the ceiling when I was uh, uh, at the sermon. But one of the sermons I did hear, uh, I remember hearing as a little, little boy, had this story in it. I'm going to butcher it probably, but here it comes. Uh, the story goes that there's a, a pig and a chicken, they're walking around in the barnyard, and they decide that they're going to do something nice for the farmer who's been so nice to them, so they decide that they're going to make him breakfast. Uh, and, and they said, listen, we, you know, we've got everything that we need for a great breakfast. Uh, I'll bring the eggs, you bring the ham, and at that point, the pig kind of stops talking. The chicken kept going about all the other things that could be served at this breakfast, but uh, <laughs> he noticed that the pig was no longer with him, so he said to the pig, hey, pig, what's wrong? This is a great eye, and the pig says, no, chicken, here's the deal. If we do this breakfast, you just have a normal day. If I do this breakfast, it's the last breakfast I'm ever a part of, so I'm out. Anyway, uh, I think his point was, for this breakfast to happen, the chicken just had to give an egg. For this breakfast to happen, the pig had to give his life, because to get the bacon or the ham out, that's what would require. And I remember that story. I don't, I don't think I told the story correctly, but I remember it. And I remember thinking, well, uh, that can kind of basically help us separate, you know, uh, Christians a little bit. Are there pig Christians and, and chicken Christians? I think so. Because chicken Christians are kind of toe dippers. Uh, they have faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, maybe it's from their childhood. They've just kind of grown up believing. Or they, they had, you know, something later in life where they understood the saving grace of Jesus and they received him. But as far as, like, getting radical, you know, going full on with Jesus, it's just not something that they're, you know, uh, willing to do, and so they just kind of dip their toe in the pool of faith. But Jesus wants us to be swimmers, not just toe dippers. He wants us to go all in with him. He wants us to be pig Christians. Yeah, everything uh, surrendered to him. Now, a lot of us see the Christ life maybe as kind of this fragrance that we put on occasionally that kind of um, lets people know that we're with Jesus, but uh, uh, a little dab won't do us in the Christ life. My son, Ben, uh, when he first discovered Axe body wash, uh, he, he kind of overdid it. Uh, he was 13 years old, heading to the mall, and one of his friends, Justin Lowe, gave him his Axe body wash. He didn't, he didn't read the, uh, the instructions. Uh, it was like this cologne stuff that you can kind of spray, I guess, everywhere, but, but he sprayed it until the can was empty everywhere. And, uh, and so before you could you know, actually see him coming down the hall, you could smell him coming down the hall. You know what I'm talking about? And so we recommended, hey, Ben, you might want to go clean some of that off. 
so that you don't repel everybody at the mall. But uh, I thought, what an apt description or what an apt characteristic of, of, or characterization of what it is to live the Christ life. We're supposed to reek of Jesus. I mean, it's, it's supposed to, we, people should see the Jesus in us uh, before they see us. They, they, we, our reputation in following Christ should precede us in these lives that we live. But most of us, uh, you know, we're guilty, your pastor included, just being satisfied with a little dab here, a little dab there. Just the, uh, the essence, the odor of my Savior will do. It's not what we've been called to. Paul writes to the Romans, and in chapter 12, he uh, tells them in, a, in an off-quoted verse in, in, in sermons, he says, hey, uh, offer yourselves up, offer your bodies up as living sacrifice. A living sacrifice to Jesus, holy and acceptable to him. Um, it's, it's the only reasonable thing you can do. He says, your bodies, it starts, starts with bodies, and, and if we can agree with this, that our bodies are our containers. Everything about us, body, soul, mind, and spirit, is in the carcass that God gave us. So when he says offer up your bodies, it's not just kind of him you know, using a throwaway word. He's saying offer up everything that is you to God as a living sacrifice. Living, we continue to live, we persist in life, but we die like a sacrifice dies. We, we give all as a sacrifice is given. It's given in total. Uh, that's the life that we've been called to. He, he says in his letter to the Galatians, he says, listen, I, we, we've been crucified with Christ. I've been crucified with Christ, Paul says. I no longer live, but it's Christ who lives in me. I die so that Jesus can live through me. I give all so that he can have all. I, I guess... I don't know if this is going to work. I've done it three times. Hopefully this is the one. <laughs> uh, a lot of times people come to the, the Jesus life, the Christ life, and they, uh, they say, I'll just, I'll just take a, a little. Uh, I'll take a little Jesus on Sunday, and then I'll post that one inspirational thing on my Facebook, and then I'll, I'll come to Easter and Christmas, and maybe, you know, uh, I don't know, I'll, I'll throw something in the plate every once in a while. You know, just little things. And they think that that's the Christ life, just little things, a little, little dabble do you, just a spray. But that's, that's not the life that, that Jesus lived. He thankfully didn't come to us and just give us little things. He gave his whole self. He tells, the Bible tells us, as Paul writes to the Philippians, that uh, he emptied himself. He became nothing for our sake. He put on skin. He, he persisted in following his Father's will all the way to the cross. He died so that you and I might have life through him. And he did this. He poured out himself so that he could take us. Oh, that was supposed to be empty. <laughs> See, I told you it wouldn't work, but that's okay. So that he could take us as we were empty, uh, void of any hope spiritually. He took an empty us and he filled us when we chose him with himself. He emptied himself so that we might be filled. So we get filled with Jesus. The spirit comes and resides in us. Uh, we have all that we need, as we talked a couple weeks ago, to live the Christ life from Christ. He's here, he's in us as Christians. But this is what we proceed to do once we've been filled by Christ and his spirit, is we just kinda uh, you know, say, okay, well, I'll, I'll just give you a little bit. Here's, here's my life. Uh, Sunday morning, 11 o'clock, hour and 10 minutes. I hope he doesn't go over. I'll watch online. I'll occasionally give. Hey, I'll even sub one time during the summer in that kid's ministry. 
And we think that that's what the Christ life's all about. And if you've been around, and I don't listen, I know a lot of you understand it's way more than that. In fact, Jesus emptied himself so that he could give himself to us, but he gave himself to us so that we too could be broken and spilled out, available to him in all that he would call us to do. He sacrificed so that we could be sacrificed. He gave so that we might give. He died so that we would die with him and give him all in this life that he's given us. So who are you, you chicken Christian or a pig Christian? Are you a toe dipper or are you a swimmer? Do you reek of Jesus or is a little dab gonna do you? I'm grateful to look out into a room of people who I know understand this, who have chosen uh, to give their all to Jesus. Uh, my heart is that I would do that as well, but I don't know about you, I know that there's still parts of me that need to be rendered, surrendered. There's still areas of my life that need sacrifice. I wanna be fully available to my God and willing to do all that he wants, especially in seasons like this when we're gonna be asking ourselves as a church to go beyond what our normal sacrifice has been. So I wanna to talk today about sacrifice. I wanna lead us as a church into a deeper understanding of what sacrifice should mean and should look like in our lives. To do that, we're gonna to turn to John chapter 12 and we're gonna read a story about a, a lady who breaks a jar. I'm gonna tell you this today. Uh, Christians are jar breakers. Let's watch as this uh, lady named Mary breaks her jar. Uh, it tells us in John chapter 12, verse one, that it was six days before the Passover and Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was. We know this story from an earlier part of John. Jesus comes and Lazarus has died and who knows the story? What happens to Lazarus? He dies, but what? He gets raised from the dead. He's brought forth from his tomb. It tells us that he's already died and Jesus has raised him from the dead. It goes to verse two and it says, so they gave a dinner for him there. It was like a celebration, I'm sure. If Jesus left after the resurrection of Lazarus and had other things to do, which we know he did, he's come back now to Bethany, and, uh, and they want to say thank you. Our brother's alive, uh, and we celebrate your power, and, and we see you as our king and our Messiah, and so this is a, a dinner given in Jesus' honor. Uh, he is the, uh, the main attraction, uh, the focus of the celebration. There's Martha. Uh, we're going to find out that they're actually hanging out in a, in a Different house, it's called the house of Simon the leper. Maybe the Simon the leper was one of these guys that Jesus had healed, and so he wanted to say thank you to Jesus. But Martha's there, and uh, she's serving. Martha was a great server. And if you remember the other story of Mary and Martha in the Gospels, is Jesus is hanging out with them and Lazarus, uh, way before Lazarus dies and is raised from the dead. But uh, he's hanging out, and Martha is busy in the kitchen. Who's heard this story? And, and she gets all fussed out at Mary, who's just sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to him talk and teach and and Martha thought that Mary should be in the kitchen helping her with all the preparations. And so she said, Jesus, why don't you tell Martha to get up? Uh, or excuse me, why don't you tell Mary to get up? I always get them confused. Why don't you tell Mary to get up and come help me? And Jesus says, oh, Martha, Martha. Anybody heard the song? That's, that's where Marvin got it. It's right from that verse. And he says, Martha, why, why are you so fussed out about a dinner? Your sister's figured it out. She knows what really matters. It's, it's me. Anyway, that was Martha's first service. She's serving again, hopefully with a different heart at this point, but uh, she's there. Lazarus is there. He's reclining at the table with Jesus. What a scene, right? 
You, you flip over to the book of John, or excuse me, we'll keep going here in the book of John, verse three, where it says, uh, Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment. Yeah, it was made from pure nard, and she anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. It says that the house was filled with the fragrance of her perfume. It tells us in the account in Mark chapter 14 uh, that while he, uh, he was at Bethany, verse three of Mark chapter 14, while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon, uh, the leper, that's where I got that whole location thing, he was reclining at the table, Lazarus, Martha, all that was there. And Mark doesn't name Mary, but he says a woman comes in with an alabaster flask, a little jar of ointment, of pure nard, and it was very costly, and it says what? Read it with me. She broke it. She broke the flask. She poured it over his head. She wiped his feet with her hair. Uh, we understand uh, the principle of breaking something open when it comes to soda. Who loves to be living in an age where they got plastic caps on these suckers now, right? So if you just want a little soda, all you got to do is, oh, good, I can drink some, right? And then you can put the sucker back on. But I grew up in an age, all you youngers, where these didn't exist. We weren't killing the country with plastic yet. We had these cans, and it's a different situation, because once you do that, clock's ticking, right? We only got so much time now before the bubbles are gone. We got to drink this thing. In some, some ways, uh, that's what we see here. Uh, Mary wasn't satisfied with just a little dab. Uh, she wasn't just going to pour some of what she had been given. Uh, she broke the jar. Couldn't be sealed again. And she poured it out over the head of our Savior, and she washed his feet with the perfume in her hair. Now, you're going to read in a couple of verses that this was kind of a big deal. It wasn't just her grabbing some Estee Lauder or, you know, something she picked up at uh, the mall. And uh, she's pouring it out over Jesus. She's taking this, this valuable essence. Uh, we're going to find out it's, it's worth 300 denarii, which means nothing to us. It's not our currency. But a, a denarii was basically a, a day's wage for a man in that time. So we're getting up to there uh, like a year's salary. I don't know what you make every year, but, you know, uh, take about four-fifths of that. And that's, that's what she was busting out. It was probably a gift given to her by her father uh, in hopes that, uh, you know, uh, if, if she was unmarried, which we seem to think she was because she's living with her sister and her brother, uh, there would be some, you know, like a 401k, some source of income for her if she ever found herself in need. Uh, like, like, let's say her brother died and wasn't able to take care of her anymore. Oh, wait, that happened. Anyway, uh, uh, this was her, her backup plan. Uh, but perhaps inspired by the fact that her brother was bought back from the dead and sitting across the table from Jesus, perhaps just in awe that someone could be raised from the dead. Whatever her reasons, she was so overwhelmed with her Savior that she just said, I'm taking everything I got, everything that matters to me, and I'm not just going to little douse. I'm taking the whole thing, and I'm pouring it over my Savior. She sets for us the example that we as all Christians should follow. She was willing to give Jesus what mattered most to her in the humblest of ways. She did it without bartering. This is something we've got to be careful when it comes to sacrifice. Sacrifice is not currency. Don't come to Jesus and say, okay, Jesus, I'll do this for you, but here's what I'm going to need from you in return. That's not sacrifice. Sacrifice comes with no attachments, no intents for return. We give freely regardless of what's given back. And that's what Mary does. She breaks the flask. She spills it all. Uh, she was giving it as a thank you note, perhaps, for the resurrection of Lazarus. Uh, would we, as followers of Jesus Christ, give our all 
as a thank you note for our resurrection that awaits us and through our resurrection that has already given us in Christ. Um, jar breakers, that's what Christians are. They break the jar. But here's what you need to understand. If you break the jar, the world's not gonna get it. The world will condemn you. As you step out and sacrifice, as you step out and do things that the world would say, that's crazy, that's, that's ridiculous, uh, you're gonna be maligned, you're not gonna be understood. Just prepare for it. Look what happens in the story. It tells us in Mark chapter 14, verse four, that there were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii, that's where I got it. And it could have been given to the who? The poor. Who here votes for us to be generous to the poor? Anybody vote for that? Anybody think Jesus would vote for that? Anybody think Jesus taught on that some? Okay, good, you're with me on that, good. Uh, so on, on face value, are, are these people's uh, protestations valid? What? You're gonna spill out all that perfume? We could have used that for something you know, way better than you know, a, a bath and a, and a foot wash. Yeah. Now we're gonna feed the bay next week. It's gonna be awesome. And we're gonna do it because poor people need food. We wanna help. And as, as the Church of Christ, we wanna be a, an aid to those who need help. They're, they're, their wondering is understandable. It says that they, they scolded her. It's actually the Greek word there for scolded is the Greek word that comes from the barn. It means like a, a, a horse uh, uh, you know, noise. It's like that's, that's the Greek word for scolded. You ever done that with someone who, uh, under the prompting of the Holy Spirit, gives something up? Uh, who, who, who moves forward? And you look at them and you're like, what, that's crazy. How can you do that? I used to be a youth pastor and students in our youth ministry would sense the call of God on their lives to go and be pastors as well or to go and be missionaries. And I'd have meetings with their families who had, uh, in, in, the, in the part of Dallas where we lived in the, in the you know, more affluent sections of, of that city, uh, had, had, had a grand plan for these kids. We sent them to the very best schools so they could get the very best colleges so they could have the very best jobs and live down the street from us until we died. And you're, 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 I've actually had this conversation with parents. You're filling their heads with this nonsense. You know, if, if they want to go on a missions trip, that's fine. But they don't need to go live in one of the stands and tell people about Jesus there. That's crazy. What we need to understand is that Every once in a while, God asks for crazy things to be done. Like I told you earlier in the service, he asked a guy to build a boat in a desert. Uh, he, he asks us sometimes to stop what we're doing in a, in a day's uh, you know, events and, and, and give time to someone that we don't even know because he, he prompts us to do so. He, he leads us to give uh, you know, financially to, to folks that uh, maybe they're not even going to use it for the right things, but we feel like we're supposed to do that. And we do it when everybody else is saying, no, we do it because the Christ life often requires us to do things that others won't understand. It tells us in the, in the account of John that the, a guy named Judas uh, was hanging out. He's one of the disciples and he was going to be, betray Jesus later on that week, spoiler alert. Um, but he said, uh, Judas was there and he said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Uh, he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And 
uh, having charge of the bunny bag, he, uh, he used to help himself to what was put into it. He was skimming off the till. He, uh, but he had the same reaction. Give to the poor. And this is an important thing. I think it's important for us to understand this. A lot of times when we sacrifice and give, our, our sole focus can be the, the, the one that we're giving to or sacrificing for. So when it's the poor, we think about, great, we're going to feed the bay and we're going to put food on hungry families' tables. And that's great. And don't get me wrong, that's awesome. But what I want us to do, like I talk about in our marriages, when we love our spouses, we don't love our spouses first as, as an act of loving them and hoping they'll love us back. We love our spouses uh, first by loving God and seeking to honor God in our relationships with those that we're married to so that he gets the glory. And then from there, we go into loving our spouses. In the same way, when we sacrifice, we don't sacrifice just for the person it's going to benefit. We sacrifice first as an act of glory and, and, and honoring of God so that then, as we honor and glorify him, things can change in the world around us. And that's what Jesus is going to essentially tell these guys on the next thing, because you need to understand, if you break the jar, the world's going to condemn you, but if you break the jar, God himself will defend you, because that's what happens in the story. These guys are all fussing on, on, on Mary, you know, wasting this, this perfume, but Jesus says to those guys, he says, leave her alone. Why are, you, why are you troubling with her? Why are you messing with her? He says, she has done a beautiful thing to me, for you always will have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. He was speaking, obviously, the fact that he was going to go die soon, that he would resurrect and spend 40 days and then go to prepare a place for us. This was a special time. I wish I'd lived then. I would love to have seen our Savior face to face, right? How cool would that have been? But his point was like, y'all, listen, there will always be other things that you can do with your money and your time. There will always be needs in a broken world. But as followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to have Jesus as our priority, Jesus as our focus. And when we put him as our focus, he, he is a defender of us. He'll never call us to make a sacrifice that he won't stand by us to make. He, he'll never lead us to do something that he doesn't give us uh, what's necessary to, to, to accomplish that, whatever it is. Uh, Eleanor and I were trying to determine what to give to Rise Up, and uh, that was three, or three years ago when we finished that, four years ago. And, uh, and we were trying to figure it out, who's here for Rise Up? Yeah, so maybe you did the same thing. You were just trying to determine, how, how does God want me to sacrifice in this this way, and, and, and he led us to a, a sacrifice that was way beyond what we thought was reasonable. Uh, we, we, we did it by faith, uh, but we just, we just didn't understand how it was going to work. We were, uh, you know, uh, three kids in our house. There was one graduating that first year of Rise Up and one subsequently graduating every year after that. Uh, and college awaited and the expenses of that. Anyway, we, just, we, we set the, 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 the number and just trusted that God was going to lead us uh, to be able to do that because we sensed that that's what he wanted us to do. Now, when you do that, I, I just, I'm amazed at how over and over again, not just in our lives, but in the lives of those that I you know, get to share life with here at our church, God comes through. We, we step out in faith. We step out in sacrifice and commitment, and God comes through. The first Christmas that we were uh, in the middle of our Rise Up commitment, one of our family members gave us a card. They give us a card every year, and it was usually a check for Eleanor and a check for me. There was $50 for each of us, we would go get something nice. Who likes those Christmas cards? They're nice, right? <clears throat> well, this particular Christmas, they gave us a card. Uh, it was unlike anything we'd received before or since. Uh, it was a card that had uh, 
an extravagantly larger amount of money in it. Uh, it was uh, Eleanor's parents, and they had cast out uh, one of their CDs, and instead of waiting for it to come to us when we were, you know, when they were passed and all those things, they decided to give it to us, uh, you know, at this stage in our lives. And uh, it, was, it was a lot of money. And it was the amount of money that would make what we had pledged to give to Rise Up doable from what we were planning to give ourselves. We knew we could probably manage this amount, but we didn't know where this was going to come from. Merry Christmas, right? And so I've never been so happy giving so much. You know why? Because I didn't even feel it. It never even hit my bank account. I just kind of took it, and I was like, here you go, Lord. Thank you very much. That's how he does things. He calls us to sacrifice, and then he gives us the means to make it happen. If you are willing to step out and break the jar, God will defend you. God will provide. God will meet you in those things. And here's my last thing about sacrifice from this text. Uh, As we break the jar, we just have to break the jar as God would have us break it. So as we head into this this season of, of sacrifice and giving, I just want you to know there's no formula, there's no set amount that anybody has to give in this case or in any case. We just have to give what, what God leads us to give by his spirit. Jesus was, again, defending Mary to these men, and he says, hey, she's done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. Uh, he's talking about that in terms of the fact that maybe they had seen his anointing as being more regal. You know, he was the king, like they would anoint the kings in Israel. Uh, maybe that's what Mary intended, but he was saying, listen, you guys don't get it, but I'm going to go die, and my body's going to need to, you know, uh, lay in a tomb, and, and as part of that procedure, you know, we treat our bodies with spices and perfumes, and she's done this in preparation for my sacrifice. But see that first line in that verse for how I want us to close. It says, she has done what she could. She's just done what she could. God never asked us to do anything more than what we should and could. He just wants us to do what we can, to seek him, to, to, to understand what his hopes for us are, and then to follow him in them. That's it. As we move forward as a church, not just into this season of sacrifice with go forward, but into everything that we do, that's all I hope for us. That's all I hope for you and your families and in your own personal life is that you would see God, know what he says, heed what he says, do what he says. Just do what you can. Do all that you could and all that you should for him. We're going to close today as we sing this song. It's a song of sacrifice, a song of surrender, a song that uh, is hopefully in our hearts as we leave this place. It's a song that says that we want to give everything and nothing less. Uh, God's worth it. It's the Christ life. He doesn't want us to be toe dippers. He wants us to be swimmers. He doesn't want us to be chicken Christians. He wants us to be big Christians. He wants us to go all in with him and all in for him. That's my prayer for us as we sing.
Father, we confess that in this place right now, that uh, you deserve our very best, our lives, our all. Uh, forgive us in the times or in the areas of our life where we refuse to surrender. Forgive us, God, for um, just doing the very least, for just having a little dab of you in our lives. Help us, Lord, to go beyond that and uh, to fully surrender to you, to honor you with every part of our being, in our hearts and our minds, with our strength. Uh, God, grant us your grace as we move forward into the next parts of our lives personally and as a church. Uh, lead us to the sacrifice that you'd have us make in, in, in those areas. And, and, and God, uh, may you be honored and glorified by your people. We need you. You're faithful. You're for us. And help us surrender, God. I pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week. We'll see you next time.